the Lord your God and a jealous God, punishing your children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate you, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love you and keep my commandments. You shall not hate the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. As we've been reading Exodus 20 together over the last few weeks, um, one of the key lessons uh, that we've learned as a church and that I particularly have enjoyed uh, being reminded about and encouraged about um, is the glory and the goodness of God. Um, that these commands are not designed for us to keep us in line, but uh, to point us to how good and how holy our God is. Because that's where the gospel starts and ends really with God's holiness and they reveal the goodness of the gospel and the gospel of course being that Jesus came into this world and died for the sins of the world uh, so that we could know the Father, Father, the God that created us. The Ten Commandments and the law in the Old Testament reveal how far we were from God's standards and the cross revealed how close he had brought us through Jesus. And so the command, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, is another reminder of who he is and then who we are compared to him. I think it's important uh, to begin with for us to get the idea out of our heads uh, that God wants to keep us in line. For us as New Testament Christians, the law means something very different to us than it did for the Jews of the day. To the people of Israel that these commands were first given to. This law was given to the Jews to show them how to live according to God's standards. And so for them, following these commands was the difference between being acceptable to God and not. But for us as Christians today, we were made right once and for all through Jesus on the cross through his resurrection, and so therefore, as a result of that, these commands are liberating and freeing and good. They allow us to say, look at how wonderful and majestic and holy is our God, and look at how close he has brought us to himself. When these commands were given to the people of Israel, it wasn't to subjugate them or to bring them to heal because they were out of control. It was a show of grace by God, the God who created them and who had made them his people, to allow them to know him better, to worship and live for him in the right way. So I think that it's good for us to, to see these commands from, from our own point of view as New Testament Christians, get it into our heads that we will be able to see, uh, once we get that into our heads, we will be able to see these commands for what they are to us which is freeing and good. Um, which is great, isn't it? Because that means that we don't have to feel inadequate. We don't have to feel like we're failing at being a Christian, which I'm sure if you're like me from time to time, you, you feel that way. Instead of seeing these commands as the, the difference between life and death, we see them as opportunities to love God. I hear it, but it's not clear. Love God more. To worship him more, since life has already been won and death has been defeated on, a, on our behalf in Jesus. Because salvation is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, not in keeping the law. Once we see that, we 
You are much more likely to see these commands as an opportunity to love God. An opportunity to see how you can worship and live for Him more. And an opportunity to grow in our love for Him. An opportunity to be better at what we are called to do with our lives, which as Andy taught us a few weeks ago, is to glorify God. That is the purpose and calling of our lives. To glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God in all that we do, and so therefore keeping these commands is one way that we can do that. And why wouldn't we want to do that? Don't you want to be better at living for and glorifying God? Don't you want to be a better Christian? Be better at loving Him, worshipping Him in all that we do? I know that I certainly do. Back when we were starting the book of Exodus and we read in uh, chapter 3, we we have this account of God meeting with Moses in the form of a burning bush. And God told Moses that he was going to use him to set the people of Israel free from their slavery in Egypt. During that exchange, Moses asks God this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you have to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He spoke about, back then he spoke about how this name that was given to Moses in this exchange, which we would translate as Yahweh, perfectly describes our God. That in revealing to Moses this statement, I am who I am, I am has sent you. That we hear a name that completely sums up who God is, that he is creator, that he is holy, he is sovereign, and everything that we know and everything that we see in our entire plane of existence is held in his hands. To sum up, the name of our God is who he is. He is all things. He is holy and his name is holy. He is righteousness and he is love. His name perfectly tells us of who he is. God's name tells of his character. It tells of his actions, all that he has done. And it tells us of the God who created everything that we know. And the God who sent his son for us. God's name is wrapped up completely in who he is. You notice in the two songs that we sang so far this morning that we speak of God's name. And giving glory to his name. God's name is wrapped up completely in who he is. And so when he says this command, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We're not just talking about a word or a title, we're talking about the holy and perfect name of our creator God. And so therefore, because of that, we have to be careful to hold it in the proper regard. We have to ensure that we treat it properly. Now I'm sure that we all know what the name Ryan means. <coughs> Ryan means little king. If you don't regard me as little or as a king, that's quite alright, because my name was given to me by my parents. Maybe in the hope that one day I might potentially live up to that name. Um, 31 years on, each day I seem to get further away from hope. 
descriptors. <laughs> but God's name is not like a human name. It wasn't given to him in the hope that he might live up to it one day. God's name is a descriptor of who he is, who he already is, and who he has always been from the very beginning. And what the Bible tells us is that his name is precious, it is holy, and it holds great power in a way that we are just not even capable of comprehending. And so for that reason, it shouldn't be misused. The King James Version of the Bible translates the verse as, Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. That might be the way that a lot of us know this command to be said. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. That term means literally, do not lift up in emptiness. The NIV translates it, do not misuse the name of the Lord. That term means, do not lift up in emptiness. Do not lift up the name of the Lord in emptiness. The purpose without the need. Do not use God's name thoughtlessly or flippantly. Do not be casual about something that is not casual. If you were to overhear someone talking about you at work or at school or at college, stating that you were acting in a way that you weren't, or that you had said something that you'd never said, or that you were a different person to who you really think you are, would you be offended and outraged? Now imagine, as far as you possibly can imagine, that you had created the world, that you created every particle that exists within it, including every human being that ever lived, only to have them use your name in an offensive or derogatory way. So therefore, God reacts when his creation misuses his name with no thought for it. Throughout the Bible, God outlines many times the power and importance found in his name, as well as how it should be used. So I'm going to let the Bible do the talking for itself Um, We're going to do a really quick zip through the Bible and look at some of the ways that it talks about the name of the Lord and the weight and the power that's found in it. All of these will hopefully be up on the screen, um, but we give us a little bit of time um, if it takes a while. So to begin with, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 3, that talks about one of the most grievous sins that we could possibly imagine. It says, this is the Lord speaking, I myself will set his face against him, I will cut him off from his people, for by sacrificing his children to Moloch, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. This awful sinful practice of child sacrifice in the ancient world was considered by God to be offensive to his name. God's name brings punishment for sins according to Isaiah 30 verse 27. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar, with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath, and his tongue is a consuming fire. Then in the Old Testament, God talks of having a temple, a place to meet with his people, his creation. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, You are to seek the place that the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. Later on in chapter 16, rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, 
What were you like in your tent and the floor was fatherless and the wind was living among you? Rejoice before the Lord in the place he will choose as a ground for his name. In 2 Samuel, I'm talking of King David. It says, He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then King Solomon afterwards in 1 Kings chapter 8 says, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. This temple was a meeting place between God and mankind, and is described as a dwelling place for his name. These passages suggest to us that God's name is an indication of his presence. 1 Samuel 12 and Psalm 23 say this, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And then Psalm 23, He refreshes my soul and guides me along the right path for his name's sake. These passages tell us that that God acts for the sake of the glory of his name. That his creation will equate his name to his goodness and his glory and his actions. We see that then happening, creation responding to God's name in passages like Psalm 29 and 66. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Then as we move into the New Testament, we start to learn of God reaching out to the entire world through the gospel. John 12, 13 says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And then just a few verses later, Jesus lifts his voice to heaven and says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the name of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of the gospel. Acts 4 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then Romans says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation has been given to us. The salvation that has been given to us is given through his name. We also read of how we as Christians have been given the amazing blessing of using the name of the Lord Jesus who was himself God to do great things ourselves. John 14, 12-14 Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What an amazing promise, what an amazing offer that is. An offer to use his holy name to do amazing things in our world for the sake of the kingdom. That's a real whistle-stop tour of references to God's name in the Bible. We have barely scratched the surface. But that should be enough to show us how important, how powerful, how meaningful God's name is. And also to see how completely wrapped up in the story of who God is, who we are as His creation, and how at work, 
how his name is at work in our world. In fact, his name is central to the work of the gospel. God's name holds and demonstrates and manifests his glory. And it's so important for us as his creation, as his people, as people who have been so blessed by it, who have been given life through it, to use it properly and not to misuse or lift it up in emptiness. So how can we make sure that we are doing what we can to honour this command, to worship God in honouring this command, not misuse his name? In large part, this command is concerning what comes from our mouths. Clearly, it's about the things which come from our mouths that are offensive to God. Nowadays, there are lots of offensive words and terms and topics of conversation. Curse words, words of blasphemy, coarse sexual terms. It would potentially be quite a fun sermon if I was to spend the next 20 minutes listing them all. But I'm not going to do that. I'm sure you don't need my help in identifying the kind of words that I'm talking about. But obviously, these terms are commonplace in society around us. At work, at school or college, or on social media, on TV, at the football, maybe even in our own lives, in our own homes, and things like that. Research suggests that people associate swear and dishonesty. Some scientists even suggest that it can be an instinctive reaction, similar to the kind of responses that animals get when distress. So, what's the problem? It's a part of modern life, surely. Well, I think that for Christians, our attitudes towards these kind of terms, these topics of conversation, should be more considered because what comes from our mouths speaks of what is in our hearts. In Luke chapter 6, it says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And this is the point. This is not primarily about our words and the things that we say. And so this, this sermon is not about laying down rules on what we should and shouldn't say, what we should and shouldn't talk about. It's about considering what is in our hearts and the words that our hearts then produce. That applies to blasphemous words, swear words, as much as it does apply to gossip and slander and anger towards other people. Because ultimately, and what this all comes down to, is that our God is concerned about and interested in the condition of our hearts. In Romans chapter 3, we're told what someone who is far from God is like. Someone whose heart is cold to God. It says, all have turned away. They, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Those words, those terms, open graves, poison of vipers, they are shocking and evocative. And they show us that words are not just words. 
that they reveal what is going on in our hearts. Term blasphemy is used to describe words which specifically offend or accuse God or Jesus Christ. That's what this command in Exodus 20 is, is about. Those phrases that you might overhear, like, oh my God, or for God's sake, or even Jesus Christ, when you use, when that is what it means to use God's name in vain or to misuse it. When you use that as, as throwaway terms, that's what this command is talking about. Using those terms out of context of actually giving glory to God, using those terms to not give glory to God, but just as terms of exasperation or frustration. When we do that, we deeply offend God. We deeply offend His holy name. Because God's name is precious to Him. It is holy, and to use it as a throwaway term when we're frustrated that we've earned our dinner or when we've heard some juicy new gossip, it's just so offensive to our God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's a sad indication of the position that God has in our society, I think, that blasphemy, like those terms, those words, they aren't even considered offensive or unacceptable anymore in our society. In fact, most people wouldn't flinch if they heard those terms used in common talk or on the TV or online. But as God's people, we should flinch. God's people should flinch when they hear God's name being misused. God is deeply offended by the misuse of his name, and so we should be offended on his behalf. That's our God, whose holy and precious name is being belittled, being lifted up with emptiness. At work, or at college, or at school, you can't control what you hear, and I'm not suggesting that we start to challenge non-Christians on their use of language all the time. But I am suggesting that if it just washes over us, then maybe we have become a little bit too numb to the offence that has been taken against our God. And it's good to ask ourselves if we are choosing to subject ourselves to this at home. Do we even notice it when we hear it on TV or, or see it on social media? What I'm not saying is that we have to turn off the TV and disavow ourselves completely from the world. But I think it's helpful for us to, to just take a little temperature test of our own hearts towards God by seeing how aggrieved we are when we hear His holy name being misused. And you may choose to not watch things or follow people online who misuse our Lord's name and offend Him. It's always good to ask ourselves, is this good for me? Is it edifying? Does it build me up in my faith? Does it point me to Him? Does it help me to grow? If not, you may decide to distance yourself from those kind of things for the sake of glorifying God. Swear words and profanity is a different issue. Blasphemy. Our command speaks specifically about misusing God's name. But I still think that it's good for us as Christians to consider to consider uh, how we might use swear words or profanity as we think about the words that we say, the things that we lift up with our lips, and we think about what's up, what's going on in our hearts. 
The Bible says the following, Ephesians 4, 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words should build up and be beneficial. Ephesians 5 and 4, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather of thanksgiving. As Christians, obscenities, filthiness have no place in our lives. In Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. The words that are in our mouths give an indication of what's in our hearts. The things that we say, things that we say about and to other people, give an indication of what's in our hearts. James 3 says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? This is a rhetorical question in James 3. point is that we can't have good things come out of our mouths if good things don't regularly, if, if good things aren't regularly flowing from them. It's a great challenge and reminder that the words that we say should be glorifying to God. So it might be out of anger, it might be out of habit, whatever it might be. At the root of all blasphemy and swearing and gossip and slander is a, ra- a lack of respect for our God, His name and His commandments. And what comes out of our mouths tells us about what is in our hearts and it tells us about our attitude towards God. It doesn't have an impact on our salvation. Praise God for that, but it will reveal a lot about our hearts. And as Christians, the words that we say, we say as ambassadors of Christ. So it's good to just take a temperature test. Just think about what we allow to come out of our mouths. What we say to and what we say about others has impact. And as Christians, we bear this name, the name of the Lord. We are his representatives, his ambassadors. So when people know or hear that we are Christians, they see an ambassador for God, someone who stands under the banner of his holy name. It's an honour and a privilege to bear the name of our Lord. We need to ensure that people here, grace and goodness and love come from our lips. That we don't impact our witness to non-Christians by talking in ways or using words that are not fitting or glorifying to God. We give him glory in how we live and how we use our position as his people. Keeping these, these commands doesn't prove that we are great Christians, but it does help us to see where our hearts are towards God. And keeping these commands, all of the commands in Exodus 20, give us an opportunity to give, to give glory to God, to praise him with how we use his name. We've used his name already in singing the songs that we've sang, Honour him with how we use our lips and our mouths. Our purpose, as Andy spoke to us a few weeks ago, our purpose is to glorify God. These commands show us how to do that. 
not to bind us up, but so that we can be more fulfilled. We are his holy people, and that means that we are set apart for him. To be set apart means to be different. So it's good for us to take this temperature test and ask, am I different? Am I setting myself apart from the people around me? Do they act and speak differently? And the purpose of this command for us is to ask ourselves, am I lifting up praise to God's name with the same lips that I then use to blaspheme or swear or make crude jokes, gossip, slander? With my co-workers or when, when I'm online? Am I honouring God in God's name with the things that I say when I represent Him, when I represent His name as a Christian? Do not misuse the name of the Lord. And I suggest that to not use the name of the Lord is also to misuse it. Do we speak of Him? Do we speak of His goodness? Do we share our faith? Do we talk of the great things that he has done and continues to do for us? As we finish, I want to look again at these words from John 14, spoken by Jesus to his followers in the days before his death. John 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What we see here is an offer, actually a command to use this powerful name of the Lord for his good, for his kingdom. To misuse the name of the Lord would be to not use the name of the Lord when it's been given to us to do great things with it. Jesus is about to leave the earth, leave this mission of sharing the good news of the gospel to the world in the hands of his followers, and he says those words to him. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. As Christians, we have this incredible opportunity to use this powerful, holy, wonderful name of God to do great things for his kingdom. As Christians with the name of the Lord on our side, we're called to use it to do great things. To misuse the name of the Lord would be to not use it. We use it to fight our spiritual battles. We use it to declare our faith. We use it to make him known in our world. And we use it to praise him over and over and over again. Every day we use the name of the Lord to give him praise. We read it at uh, in the middle of the sermon, Psalm 29, verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. This will take some time this afternoon or this week to think about the way that we use the name of the Lord. Think about if we misuse it, let's think as well about the ways that we can use it. Just to not use it would be to misuse the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we give you glory, we give you praise. We lift up your name in acknowledgement and the truth of who you are and all that you've done. Your name speaks of all that you've done. Father God, we are in awe of who you are. You are holy and majestic and above us. 
We praise you for what you've done, what you've done through the cross, giving us salvation in the name of your Son. We give you praise that you have given us your powerful name to use to further your kingdom, to put, put it to work in our world. Father God, I pray that as your people, you help us to use the name of the Lord to do great things for your kingdom. That you will use us to lift up your name, give you glory, give you the praise that you deserve in our lives. Help us to live for you and love you more. Give us a passion for you and a passion for your name, Father God. 